0: all have said you never tried to hit anybody over the head with the Bible you never tried to slap them uh, you know you just were there to offer offer a little hope and inspiration and uh, as I've told you you know people are everybody running half or full marathons or running to or from something in their life and so was I mm-hmm. and uh, and I had been there I had run from or t- to prove people wrong or to come back or from the pain of the moment or whatever I, there's a to and from for everybody
1: And welcome to the podcast, Chris Gillespie. He's the founder of Team Four Thirteen, also known as Grace Runner Ministries. And he and his wife have been at countless expos and across the U.S. at races, uh, doing this for a number of years uh, since 2003. And I, I just really wanted to get his perspective on this unique part of running culture and uh, why he does the work. So, thanks for joining us, Chris.
0: Well, I appreciate it.
1: So let me just ask you, Chris, what gave you this idea, and how did how did it get started?
0: Um, you know, we were founded in two thousand three, um, and you know that's the date. You know, we're going on uh, coming up on seventeen years um, as a ministry, which blows my mind. Uh, but um, it really started. God was putting the puzzle pieces together even before that in 1986. Um, I, I think I, I don't know what year you were born, Mark, but um, you <laughs> might not even been born in '86. So, uh,
1: for the record, I was about 10 years old, middle school track age, but I know that you were already doing many years of athletic training at that point.
0: I was a director of uh, uh, sports medicine and the head athletic trainer at Stanford University in Birmingham. Uh, where I uh, had been there since um, uh, 1982, and but um, we had brought back football, and, and we, you know, we had a full, you know, uh, full intercollegiate sports program, and and I directed the sports medicine program for for that, and and it was um, it was a you know late spring day, April 30th. It was a beautiful day, and and all the sports teams in in the spring are, are practicing. You know, you've got. Maybe you've got um, baseball playing and softball playing. You got track and field out there and tennis. And as long as somebody was playing, you know, our athletic training sports medicine staff was on on campus and and taking care of folks. Well, that day we didn't have any competition, and we had only practices. And everybody finished up practice early that day. Hmm. And in college athletics, that just doesn't happen. We don't see it. We just don't see. Anytime a coach can practice, he's going to practice, you know. But, but for some reason that day, everybody was done, and it was, wasn't even 5 o'clock. And, um, and, you know, in those days, you know, as an athletic trainer that, that was in charge of all the sports but I had assistants at different locations, still you're working seven days a week and you know, about 100 hours a week, and, and, you know, that's just taking care of everybody else's kids. And, um, uh, but that day it, it was short and I was thrilled to death uh, because, uh, I was going to get to go for a run, uh, at the end of the day, normally at the end of the day, I, I could, you know, it'd be seven o'clock before I would really, I'd go out for a light run or I'd run early in the morning. But that day, you know, we finished early and, and I, I said, you know, I can go out and get me a, a decent run in and I went out and, um, great. You know, spring day, and, and uh, if you've ever been in Birmingham, it's a, it's somewhat of a hilly area. Azaleas are you know um, are blooming, and all the all the spring flowers are out, and you know there's pollen everywhere. But but still, it's just an unbelievable day, and it's one of those cobalt blue sky days, as I call them, where there's not a cloud in the sky, perfect temperature, and and so I, I take out of campus and. And uh, I was going to run my normal route. Um, uh, and uh, I realized, how, okay, take this turn, you'll go down to, to Lakeshore and you'll be able to get a, um, a hang a right, hard right, and go back up to the campus, which was only a mile away. And um, so when I made the turn, I couldn't get across traffic to run against traffic, and it's four lanes of traffic. Um, and so I had to run. Uh, with traffic, uh, but I was seven to eight yards off the uh, highway on the shoulder of the road, only had about 250 to 300 yards probably before I was going to reach the university campus, cut through and get to my office, get a shower and get home early. Um, And uh, running along and all of a sudden uh, I got hit from behind by what I thought to be a car. And, um, you know, Kiki asked me when she heard the story for the first time, what um, what did, went through your mind next? Because I was propelled some 30 feet forward, and I went face down in the gravel and the dirt on the shoulder of the road. I was paraplegic. I didn't have any feeling in my legs whatsoever, uh, intense pain at, uh, up the spine, but... But uh, from just trauma, but uh, I was paraplegic, couldn't, uh, uh, no movement, and I knew I was in trouble. Um, But she said, what went through your mind as soon as you got hit? And I said, well, time stood still a little bit. Uh, Everything slowed down. That's the only way I know how to describe it. Have you ever been in an accident? Have you ever been through something like that? it it literally just slows down
1: yes and um
0: and so as i as i slowed down as as things start to slow down i literally thought i remember consciously thinking uh i was waiting on the rest of the car to hit me and um and so all of a sudden you know i hear uh sirens in the background i hear you know cars are coming to a halt um this lady stopped. I never saw her face, but she introduced herself as a nurse. She stood down beside me and, and, um, and talked to me and, and calmed me down. And I, I, I told her what I did for a living uh, as a, in sports medicine. And I said, look, I said, number one, am, do I appear to be broken up? And, um, and she said, no. And I said, am I bleeding? And she said, no, and I said, so I don't look like I've crushed anything. She said, no. I said, well, and then I'm thinking abdominal, you know, internal, uh, internal injuries. I said, do you have a blood pressure cuff? And she went to her car and got a blood pressure cuff. And there, that was before cell phones. And so somebody had to run somewhere to call.
2: Hmm. And
0: so there was a church right up the hill. And somebody went to call and I heard the sirens and all that and the emergency personnel on their way. And meanwhile, she took my blood pressure And it was actually okay, considering I'd just been running. Um, And so it eased my mind a little bit that I didn't have internal damage, but I still couldn't feel my legs.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, this lady stayed with me until the emergency personnel arrived, and I never saw her face. And I've always said this, and I don't know if she was an actual angel or just an angel in in a person form, (laughs) but I never saw her because what's the chances of a nurse being the first person to stop and um, and, to, and to reassure you and stay with you and hold your hand and take your blood pressure and, and calm you down. Um, and then, you know, as the emergency personnel are working on me, my face was, our head was turned to the, toward the road, um, and um, I saw, you know, a lot of scurrying around, and, you know, of course, we've created a massive traffic jam on the Audubon, and I know I had some angry folks, and they didn't even know what they were angry about. But if they had known what they uh, were about to find out uh, later on, they they might not have been quite as angry. But um, so I I heard these two officers talking, and and I could see their feet, and I knew they were police officers because I could see their uniform shoes and their pants with the stripes on them, and and you know down the side of the leg, and they were walking around something and they were measuring it. And uh, and I heard one of them say, well, it's three-quarters of an inch thick and it's five feet by nine feet piece of exterior grade plywood. And I said, wait a minute. And, and I told one of the EMTs, Sir, would you please tell one of those officers to come over here? Because I didn't know what I'd been hit by yet at this point. And so... I said, a car didn't hit me? And he said, no, sir. Um, It was a, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but it was a um, piece of plywood that's five by nine.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, And I said, well, they don't make plywood five by nine. It's four by eight. And I argued with him. I'll never forget. And why I'm laying there paraplegic and arguing with an officer about it being five, pil- I said, y'all mismeasured. This can't be five and nine. It's four by eight. You know, and he said, this recipe is five and nine. Here's why it's five and nine, because it's painted green on one side with white stripes. This thing evidently is a pool table conversion kit to turn it into a ping pong table.
2: Huh.
0: And my exact words were, wait a minute. That thing blew off with the back end of a truck. They later they told me. I said it blew off, hit me in the back. It passed the truck. By the, way, the truck was going fifty miles an hour. Blew off the back of the truck. It passed the truck. Uh, whatever momentum law that is, I jokingly refer to it as Murphy's law. Uh, it, it you know it came it passed the truck and, and it was it was you know obviously a flying missile.
1: So you're you're in a league of your own, I think, there, Chris. At i don't know of anyone else who's had something quite like that happen and definitely not um, been able to uh to tell a story about it like that
0: i've got my own club, you know, so uh, those have been hit by a flying ping pong table <laughs> but uh, getting in the hospital about seventy something days total uh, one hospital for pain management for, for uh, into into may. Um, mid to late May and then out of the hospital there, back into another hospital for trauma management and wound up having to have surgery. They drew lots of fluid off, had tons of swelling. Uh, I was black and blue from, from the top of my shoulders all the way to the bottom of my feet. Um, and uh, I was in intense pain. Um, and they, they kept me sedated a lot. Uh, because uh, the feeling in my legs came back slowly, and but when it did, it was excruciating. Mm. And so um, we, um, but we stayed in, and and they told me, you know, uh, my surgeon, uh, you know, when he did the surgery, he said, you know, there's when we lift this up, when we go in, we lift up the back of the sacrum. There's several things that could happen. He said, we believe that there are some nerves that are compromised that you won't, they're gone. Um, the sacral nerves are five of them and there's two of them were severed. Um, and so I lost those. But the sacral nerves network. Um, they pick up for each other. If it hit higher, that wouldn't have happened. If it hit lower, that wouldn't have happened. But since it hit the sacrum, they work together in order, to, so I got innervation or, the electrical output from the other nerves, so to speak, that helped. Even though I lost some things, I didn't lose everything that I could have. He said, but when we lift this, S2 and S3 control bowel and bladder function, and we're concerned, well, the other sacral nerves, I'm sorry, control bowel and bladder function. And when we lift this, there's a good chance that um, you're going to lose everything because it could be scarred down. And I said, what's the percentages, you know, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll never forget. And, he, and God bless him. He, he passed away in a plane crash, one of the greatest neurosurgeons to ever live. Dr. Evan Zeiger told me, he said, there's probably at least a 30% chance that you're going to lose all bowel and bladder function. Hmm. And, um, and as they walked out, his assistant was walking out the door and he turned around and looked at me. He said, Chris, it's less than 1% in this, in this man's hands. You're, you're going to be fine. And so when I when I woke up, they said the first thing I said and I don't remember it was I needed to go to the restroom. <laughs> That's and, good news. Um, and yeah, good news. Hmm. And so, uh, but um, Dr. Ziger took care of me for years after that, and he told me, um, you know, you'll never be able to run again, and the likelihood is um, you're gonna have you're gonna have a struggle walking. Hmm. And so that was 1986. And so, I'm. We, we start in football season. We start starting practice in August, and my all my whole focus was to be ready to take care of the kids by the time we started. And I could, I, I couldn't stand the whole time, but by the time the season started, I could, I could get to the point where I I could function, you know. And I had a great uh, staff and. And they helped me a lot, but, but the reality is is I I was able to, to, to understand, probably helped me understand my craft better than anything else that ever happened to me because I understood pain. Hmm. And so I had more empathy and sympathy and compassion for him because I understood it. And I'd been there and, and none of them had ever experienced pain like I had. Sure. And so, but so that pain I, i've said that it gave me passion for my job it gave me persistence it gave me perseverance and it literally was the path and i use a lot of p words but it was the path to put me in a position to later in my uh, professional career be inducted into three halls of fame for athletic training including the my the last, the last thing and the last award that that you, you know, that you're honored with in your profession. I was inducted into the National Athlete Trainers Hall of
1: Fame. And So between that time and, you know, early 2000s, it sounds like you actually didn't run that much. It, it was not until fairly recently, well, the last, I guess, couple decades now that you've gotten really into, um, you know, back into marathoning or first into marathoning and also um, started this organization. 86
0: to 2002, I
1: didn't
0: run. Hmm. All right, so I somehow you
1: know, that all I believe, somehow that I all believed, came back to uh, to running yeah. team four thirteen in the end.
0: Yeah, I, I believe that. Um, uh, you know, the, I, I think I believed him when he said you won't ever run again. I said, well, at least I'm alive, you know, and I and I was lucky to be able to practice my craft. And, and I was lucky to be able to jog a little bit onto the field to take care of a kid. You know, you know, if you watch television, watch a football game, the people who go on the field to take care of those athletes are athletic trainers. That's what I did. So you'd jog out onto the field to take care of them and do whatever you had to do and, you know, and working long hours and all that. To be able to do that, that was blessing enough. And then we're riding, we're at a football, coming home from a football game one day and one of our football coaches, our assistant football coaches, Tap me on the shoulder and said, hey, Chris, there's a new half marathon start that they're going to have in Birmingham. He said, uh, you, you want to run it? And I said, you've lost your mind. Huh. I, said, How?
1: Uh,
0: I said, I'm not going to You know, they told me I'd never run again. He said, oh, you could probably do that. And I
1: said, so due to a good friend's encouragement, which I think is the case for many of us, and kind of being there for you to tell you that, yes, this is possible, um, somehow, you know, months later it got you, race came up. And got you to that start line.
0: That race comes up and I'm standing to the start line because he convinced me that I could do it. (laughs) And, um, and so, I, I I literally thought I was just going to jog through. I ran about a one, you know, just under two hours. As I recall, I don't even remember the time. I was just trying to finish. And so, um, but so I thought, you know, I, I proved them wrong. That was good. And Dr. Ziger, my my physician, I, I told him what I wanted to do, and he said, Chris, if you feel like you can do it, do it. Do it. And I
1: said. Yeah, maybe, maybe you could walk us through that process just, uh, just quickly, because I know there are a lot of listeners who go through struggles in recovery or have friends who are maybe first-time distance runners. So what did that look like? What did that encouragement look like for you?
0: Um, he encouraged me, along with a couple other people that would run with me. They didn't want me running by myself. Dr. Ziger said I could do what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, and he said, we've got to figure it out, but, but you're not going to hurt yourself. And so so I went, and um, uh, because I was struggling, I put Philippians 413, I Can Do All Things through Christ Who Strengthens Me, on the back of a, or just a simple running shirt. I had a buddy of mine, it was a screen printer, he did it for me. Um, and I put a a, hat, a cap. I just had 413 embroidered on it, on it. Um, and you know, and, and that was all. It was, a, and we went to Disney, and I had a prayer band that had people that were going to pray for me at mile one, two, three, four, and then I was praying for them. They knew about what time I was going to be at certain miles, and this went on. And I met a young man. His name was Pablo. He was from Mexico. And he, he tapped me on the shoulder about midway of the, uh, by about about the half marathon point, as I recall. And he said, um, tell me more about this Christ on the back of your shirt. And I'd had hundreds of comments. And I was the only person I, around me that I saw that had something, you know, like I had on. And so I shared my testimony with Pablo and and. And uh, we, we ran along, and I saw him at the finish line. We exchanged phone numbers. And the next Wednesday night, uh, I talked to him on the phone, on the phone and, and Pablo accepted Christ that night. And um, just from me talking him through the plan of salvation. And, um, and I said, if it hadn't been for that shirt, I'd have never had a conversation with Pablo. Uh, and I said, if it hadn't have been for that phone conversation, you know, Pablo would have never accepted Christ. And I said, so I went to bed on a on the you know, that night, and and on Thursday morning, really early in the morning, uh, the Thursday after the the Walt Disney World marathon, I woke woke up in the it was pitch dark early morning, and and I remember uh, you know cold January you know, day and um i woke up and i couldn't go back to sleep and and i was thinking there's something to this mm. and i don't know what it is but there's something to this so i and my brain was going 900 miles an hour and i've always said god didn't float out in the cloud over my bed and you know you know pro manna down on me or he didn't he didn't um uh come out of the dresser or uh, uh walk out of the uh, walk in you know the closet over there or I didn't have a vision or none of those things. I said, but I might as well have, because he spoke to me. This is clear is is in my mind. This is clear I, I, to this day. It was it was almost like it was verbal
2: mm-hmm.
0: that we're going to start a ministry. We're going to do it for endurance athletes, and you're going to share with people all over the world.
1: Wow, that is an extremely powerful uh, story, and really. Um... Well, impactful, obviously, in in your life, and had an impact on many others. I, um, as you know, you know, I've been a Franciscan in in my life, and I, I do have uh, an element of faith that is to my running. Uh, but I've never been given anything quite that clear. Um, perhaps you know some intuition or some feeling about doing the right thing. So, um, you know, that's where that comes in for me. Is that word grace that I know is also part of. Uh, your organization and your story. What, where did that come from? And what does, what does, uh, Grace Runner mean to you?
0: I had told somebody, uh, you know, i re- ran under God's grace, um, and Grace Runner, one word came to, came to mind and we, we kind of coined that term. And so I trademarked Team 413 in Grace Runner and, um, and, and, it became Team 413 Grace Runner Ministries. We ran it through a church for a while. Then, you know, eventually we became our own, um, you know, standalone nonprofit ministry. And, and um, uh, but 17, you know, about 17 years after the fact of, of being told you'll never run again from 2002 or three, and then founding of 2003 until today, The same guy they told you'll never run again has run over 170, 175, either half or full marathons.
2: And I've always said it was only
0: by the grace of God. You know, some of the things that happened through the years of being accepted into the world of the endurance athlete and standing on the same stage with people like John Bingham, Jeff Galloway, Frank Shorter, Bill Rogers, uh, Bar Yasso and all those guys and they accepted us into, me into their world because I was in sports medicine and I actually was an athletic trainer in 96 in the in 96 Olympics and my sport was track and field in the marathon
1: oh interesting so, okay.
0: so, I, so I took care of them so they said you took care of us you've gone into the National Athletic Trainers Hall of Fame you, you know you've been in you know, you've achieved all these things you've got your gold medal <laughs> you know, and, and you know, so why why would you not be accepted, and just because of your faith? And he said you never, and they all have said you never tried to hit anybody over the head with the Bible. You never tried to slap them. Uh, you know, you just were there to offer offer a little hope and inspiration. And uh, as I've told you, you know, people are everybody running half or full marathons or running to or from something in their life, and so was I.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, and I had been there. I had run from or t- to prove people wrong, or to come back, or from the pain of the moment, or whatever. I, there's a to and from for everybody.
1: Everyone's running to and, or from uh, something. Yeah.
0: Every yeah, and and if you look at the population that we see at the <laughs> expos when we go and we have our shirts and. You know, that year in 2003, I was the only one out there with a shirt on. And you fast forward to, to just this past year, the Disney World Marathon, the half and full marathon, we probably had close to a 1,000 people wearing shirts at that race. Um, you know, somewhere in that ballpark, it's been the most, that's the most successful expos that we do where we get those shirts out to put them on backs, which perpetuates the ministry, And now, over 100,000 people worldwide, it's an estimate, because I gave away a lot of shirts in the early years. Um, You know, about 100,000 people worldwide represent Team 413 by simply wearing a shirt and sharing their faith on the run. And
2: the
0: the website's on the back of the shirt, so somebody may not know that somebody read it and saw the website and then emailed us, and then they became a part. Every time a person wears a shirt, they become somebody else. So every time a, per- if a person wears the shirt ten times, they're ten different people. Hmm. And then they, they see it. And I had a buddy of mine who's a well, what do you call them? An actuary, the guys that try to figure out percentages and numbers, and and they are okay. too smart for their own good. You know, they try to <laughs> they, they you know they, they figure out you know what's the possibilities you know for insurance companies and all that. And he he kind of knew or or background about how many shirts we went through a year, and how many people we got in front of, you know, give me a list of all the races you've been through and so forth. He came back to me and said, Chris, y'all get in front of close to 10 million people a year.
1: Interesting. I went, it-
0: how is how- that possible? And he said, you wouldn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's <laughs> probably know, a good uh, way to put it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah,
0: I said, I don't need to understand it. That's that's ridiculous. And, and he said, well, think about it this way do you ever not run in a Team 413 shirt? And I said, never. Every time I exercise anywhere, anytime, I'm in a Team 413 shirt. And I said, I rarely am in my shirt that I don't get somebody to comment on it. And if I'm at the gym, there may be 100 people at the gym. Well, tomorrow, it may be a different 100 people. And in a race, you know, I'm running in a pack with the same people but at different races is different packs and different and then there's somebody else you may be up there in the front and somebody else is seeing it so sure he said the exponentiality and multiply of that by seeing it, yeah by, yeah he said he said a hundred thousand people is more than that because once they wear it twice they' are two hundred thousand people and once they wear it three times they' are three
1: hundred thousand people you know chris that, that reminds me of uh yeah that reminds me of the analogy that i that someone had shared with me about that is it's kind of like a running chaplaincy because you know how chaplains are the chaplaincy in hospitals and in places where people share their joys they share their pain sometimes they share you know very very personal aspects of their lives i think that kind of presence is what you know, sometimes people see when they see someone running in a Team 413 shirt, or maybe they just have something that they're going through that they want to talk about. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're pushing uh, a certain worldview or a certain religion on them, but it says to them, "Hey, I'm safe to talk to." Um, hopefully, about something.
0: I've had, you know, and and I think that's it. It opens a door that is non-threatening. Mm-hmm. And and so people will say something to you when they are at their maybe the at a spot of their greatest need. I've always said we are there to meet people at the very point of their greatest need.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so uh, if we can do that uh, by simply tapping somebody on the shoulder and saying God bless you. Um, or they tap me on the shoulder and they say, thank you for wearing that shirt today. That's the common story we get, Mm -hmm. is I saw your shirt in such and such a place, and that guy helped me get through, or this lady helped me finish, or this person prayed for me, and now I want to do that. I want to pay it forward. I want to do something to, to be, I can do this. This has opened doors for me to share my faith in such a way that I never knew I could do it and then it opened up doors for me to unapologetically share it in other forms all around me in different aspects of my life that that people don't get is it opens a door that's
1: non-threatening. Chris, what do you think it is about, specifically about distance running, that um, that maybe opens the door to, I, I think there's something there that opens the door to people talking about, um, spiritual life, or about their deepest, yeah, yeah. Their deepest yearnings. I, well, I think I think it's this, and
0: and I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this, and I've, I've spoken about this before. Um, in our in our Christian life, I've always said this: that the the foot, uh, the the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We're all we're all the same. Doesn't matter how much money you got, doesn't matter, you know, the ground at the foot of the cross is the same. Christ looked us in the eyes and said, If I can, you know, when he died for us, he said, If I can't love you, I can't love another, for you are the love of my life. And he was talking to us collectively and individually at the same time. So that ground was level for all of us. We all, it's the same path. It, and I think running has many similarities to that hmm. because the person that's going to, Win the race. It's got their feet propped up. When I'm worried about starting, they're in the hotel with their feet propped up, eating a bagel. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they're going to finish that race in two hours and you know, change 2.15, two, some you know faster, some you know races. The winning time are, are a little slower, but but still, you know, they're they're going to finish way before I hit the halfway mark. Um, hmm. And then the last person. In that race, the the person who's never done anything physically in their life, who's never been athletic or never accomplished anything athletically in their life, ran the same race that the person that ran and finished first and won the thing did. They get the same medal that that person gets, mm. and the Christian walkers the same way. You know, only so many people play pro basketball. Only so many people are going to play pro football. Only less than one percent of those who are really, really
1: good ever make it to the highest level. Play on that same court and, as the pros. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, but but on a but
0: on a course that that world class guy, Meb wins the Boston Marathon, the very last finisher at Boston, in the same course he did.
1: That's right, right behind his footsteps. And you know, the thing, Chris, yeah. that you said. While you're describing that analogy that stuck out to me was the the part of the gospel message, which I think is often lost, and that is that people are loved equally, and that's what we're called to do as well i I think modern particularly modern religious institutions are really bad at this because they're 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 focusing on the question of what you know how do we get more people in? How do we, um, you know, how do we meet our goals? Um, where do we stand on issues? You know, what's our presence look like? Um, sometimes as opposed to just that one-on-one um, ministry like a chaplain would, would do of just saying, hey, I'm going to meet you where you are. I, I don't care, you know, what your faith is. I'm, I'm just here to love you and to support you um, yeah. when you're having yeah. a hard time. You
0: know, and, and we rarely... Rarely do we get a, approached by somebody with a negative comment.
1: Rarely, and yet I, I know that you get those difficult questions a lot. Um, those tough, tough questions that you know, in interfaith work involved in conflict resolution. Um, myself, I I know that people often expect you to be a spokesperson or to maybe have have the answers for them. Um, you know, people who are suffering or who are experiencing problems in family life. Even if they're very successful in one aspect of their life, maybe it's sports, um, there are other things that, that are a struggle. And
0: then I've had, a, you know, I've had a couple of cancer patients that, that said, you know, I wish I prayed um, uh, that there was a God, you know, but there's, you know, and, 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 and angry because of their cancer. And I understand it. I understand the anger because I, I, I don't understand cancer because, you know, well, I've had close personal friends with it. But I understand pain unlike most people will ever understand pain, Um, physical pain. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
0: live with it every day. I've lived with it since 1986. Um, And, you know, I stopped the lady and I said, ma'am, you said something that really intrigued me right there. You said there's no God, but who do you pray to? And she broke down in tears and came over and just grabbed me around the neck and, and held on to me and I, we sat down and talked and she said, I really don't believe what I just said. I'm just I'm just mad. I said, It's okay. <laughs> that's it's okay to be mad. It's all right. And I said, It's okay to ask why and it's okay. I said, but it's not okay to question God's sovereignty.
1: Well That's he, the only thing you know, there's a you know, that's the
0: only thing. I said, he's still on the throne. He's still the king of kings. And I said, if you do believe in that, you know, in, in that situation. And she sat and talked with me, and we talked it through. And I kept up with her. She beat cancer. She, um, you know, uh, not to say that everybody does, uh, but she did. And she, we, we stayed in touch. And, and she said, you know, that day changed the way she looked at things because she said, you just asked me a simple question. She said, mm-hmm. I attacked you. And you just asked me a simple question that brought
1: me back to my knee. Well, there's a simple and, uh, uh I, I think there's a simple connection there, Chris, that you I'm sure you've um you know, you've heard from a lot of people, and that's that um the um you know, really how I how I conceive God can be totally different from how you do. Um but the you know, when you when you come down to the question of something like you know anger or doubt um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. in fact, there's a rich tradition yeah. uh in our faith and in scripture and um and probably all faiths of of doubt and and anger and things never things never go the way that you would exactly want them to and that's part of uh you know that's part of our walk perhaps for the better
0: well you know if if we didn't have the ability to be angry at God or to ask why we wouldn't have free will. Hmm. And if we didn't have the ability to be angry and to ask why, that same free will we wouldn't have that allows us to accept Christ as our Savior. So without free will, you know, and, and, and that's, a, that's a hard topic, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but uh, God gives us that free will. And that's the ultimate form of love from your God is to give you free will. Um, he knows what you're going to do before you do it, but he lets you make the decision. Uh, hard to understand, hard concept to understand, but I believe this—the the free will part—is is, is something that that uh, you know we have choices, and um, it's it, it's how we choose, not necessarily. You know, I've often said this too. Um, you know, Christians need to quit saying that everything happens for a reason, because it's not true. I don't believe a little boy he dies of cancer necessarily for a reason, or if somebody walks in front of a truck right out in front of my house right now on purpose. I don't think there's a reason for that, or I don't think there's a reason for suicide. I don't think there's a reason. You know, you can't reason those things. But that's all free will type things. Those are things that. You know that, that that their choice is made. Everything doesn't necessarily happen for a reason, but for us Christians, what happens is is how we respond to what happened. This sets the example for somebody else. It's our response, not what happened, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a response to what happened. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, the gentleman that I, we were talking about before. Uh, we went live here. Um, um, he's one of our T413 guys, and, and he's been with us a long time, wonderful gentleman. And he's, he's been married for seven years, and he lost the love of his life two days ago in a, in, in, in a medical emergency of some sort during a, an activity. And I, I don't have the full uh, story yet, but he handled this with such grace that you see Christ in him. He's handled the loss of the love of his life on this earth with such, in such a way that it has touched already thousands of people that go, wow, there's something different about this guy. And, and I think that's why we do what we do as Team 413. Uh, I've had people come to the booth and go, would you pray for me? Because so, somebody said, if I would come and find you, you would. And you know that happens more than most people know uh, i've had I had a man fly um, to um, New Orleans from Minnesota. He found out I was having difficulties, you know a lot of health issues and going on. He and his wife hopped on the plane on Friday afternoon, flew to the to New Orleans came to the expo just to pray for me
2: mm-hmm.
0: because they said we know you're, you're praying for these folks at these expos all the time. How many people come here and pray for you? Mm-hmm. And I said, you came here. And he said, well, I'm going to run the race. I'm here. And I came for this purpose today. I mean, and somebody snapped a picture of it. And it means a lot to me. I, I've got to it where I can see it.
1: Very I, touching. That,
0: that, uh, unbelievable. And we stay in touch. And, and, and he was one of the first guys that believed in what we do and has stayed in touch with us all these years. Um, and wears nothing but a Team Four Thirteen shirt, and hadn't since about late two thousand three.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, and all of his training runs, all of his—he's uh, run probably all fifty states—and um, um, just a wonderful gentleman and and godly man. And and so there's there's much about what we do that people never see. Um, and is, I, I, I think I, I used the term the front of the. Uh, the dining room of the restaurant and the kitchen. Nobody wants to see what's going on in the back, in the kitchen, how it gets prepared. They just want to see the final result, you know, and in ministry, in many ways, it's like that. They just want the result. They don't want to see what all it took to get you to that front of the house, to that expo, to that race start, um, because if they knew what you had to go through to make that happen, financially. Um, you know, time wise, all the things that, that go into to what, no matter what ministry it is, and no matter if it's a pastor to church, all they see is maybe him preaching on a on a Sunday morning or, or doing a service or, or or leading a small group or whatever it might be, but nobody really sees what all it took. You know, and, and I've often said that Kiki is the heart and soul. You know, I may be the ace of Team 413, which is actually a scary thing. Uh, if you think about it, <laughs> uh, I tell people, you know, but but Kiki, my sweet wife, is the heart and soul of uh, on this earth of Team 413 because everything somebody has, a wristband, a, a shirt, uh, one of my books, uh, whatever it might be, Kiki has touched it.
1: Yes, and I know we could never do any of the great stuff we do, at least speaking for myself. I could definitely not do this project without my wife, who's supporting me all the time and pretty much in everything. But we face challenges together. Uh, speaking of which, what are some of the challenges that you all continue to face in uh, you know, in the organization that you started and in doing the work that you want to do?
0: And I told you that my biggest struggle with Team 413 is raising dollars. Nobody ever sees the back-of-the-house stuff we're having to try to raise dollars to keep us afloat. Sure. But you can't have, you, you, we still got bills, you know, regardless of what, what people think, we still have to have a storage area. We still have to have office supplies. We still have to buy all those t-shirts. We still have to pay for floor space at expos, even though we're nonprofit, all those proceeds just go right back into taking care of all that stuff. And I have to, I have to raise a whole lot more than we can ever uh, take care of in, and just putting out shirts and expos. Sure. Um, and thank thank God we've got people that believe in it, in it enough um, that that they kept you know, how many ministries, you know, I thought about this the other day, how many ministries started from nothing and, and then 17 years later almost can actually say they're still going?
1: That's a good point, it, Chris. So kind of working to wrap things up here, Chris, uh, you know that my background is in interfaith work and that I think it's important that uh, You know we we all meet people where they are and find places uh to come together and that's the way that we build up the world instead of bringing it down you know build up encouragement and support rather than building fear or uh divisions so um yeah i also wanted to ask you you know your faq big questions that people ask you and i i know that when you meet people you come at them from a place of non-judgment as well Um, do you have any, any closing thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, there are a couple of questions. I think if you, you know, answer sometimes the best answer to a question is, is to answer the most common questions that we hear.
2: Hmm.
0: And, you know, one of them is, you know, people come and say, I can't believe y'all are doing this. And, and these races are on Sunday. You know, I don't run them up there on Sunday. And, you know, and, and and how can y'all as a ministry? How can y'all do that? And I go, that is our ministry. And I say, you know, Jesus went like you just said. He hung out with the the people of the land. He he hung out with the shepherds and the prostitutes and the fishermen and the carpenters and the. He didn't want to be in the synagogue with with all the the rule makers. He 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 wanted to be out there with the folks that were trying to figure it out. You know, and. And to try to help those people, and mm. I, what I have said is, is my job as being the founder of Team Four Thirteen is to put us in a situation where we can be an influence for uh, the gospel of Christ to a community of endurance athletes. And the only way I can get to them is to go to where they are. And He will, just like Christ, will meet you right where you are we've got to go meet them right where they are and they're not sitting in the pews on Sunday. Sure, And (laughs) and the other thing that that I think is, is uh, incumbent upon me to say is the verse on the back of my shirt says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it doesn't mean I can fly uh, like Superman or run a four minute mile uh, for 26 miles. The All things encompasses all the gifts and talents and trials and troubles that that I have in my life. Just like Paul, you you go back up to verse 11. He says, I've been wealthy and I've been poor. I've been, uh, you know, I've been too good and I've been too bad. But through it all, I can only get through it with the strength that only Christ can give. And so we have to understand that it doesn't really mean that I can go out and I can, I might, if i fail at finishing the marathon doesn't mean that i didn't do what i was supposed to do i've done exactly i've, I've if i I've put everything into it i've lived a life of the trials and troubles and the strengths and the and all those things that i've been gifted to be me i can't even be me without the strength that only christ can give
2: mm.
0: and that's that's the actual that's the actual gospel of team 413 Mess or the message of the gospel of team four thirteen is not it doesn't mean that all doesn't mean everything it's the all you are
2: mm. it's
0: the all that you should be it's the all that encompasses your personality that who god made you to be how are you going to be that without his strength and mm. that in itself is the ministry of team four thirteen.
1: That's awesome, Chris. Well, I I definitely appreciate your time and your continued, you know, every bit of energy that you give, I know, reaches others, you know, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, I think everyone responds to um, the message of love and the message of support that you give as a, as I said, as a running chaplain, in my opinion. And um, I'm just grateful for all the races that you're at and for being there for my wife and for many others um, in their, in their walk and in their time of difficulties. So thank you.
0: Just like me, you, uh, as we say down South, you way out kick your coverage. <laughs> so, um, uh, but, uh, she's, she's a joy. And, and just like Kiki, my wife is, um, uh, on this earth, I have called her the angel who rescued my heart. If it hadn't been for Kiki, I'm not real sure where we'd be. That's a story for another day, how we met but it, we met through team 413 all right and uh um, a good thing and uh and that is a uh that is a, um, it's a story within itself so uh but uh, I appreciate um uh, opportunity to share and if I can ever help you you let me know
1: thank you chris and uh, many blessings in your work and of course happy running all right you too bro and thanks to all of you for joining us for this episode We're going to be continuing our Faith, Social Justice, and Running series by talking to a director of a film which delves into Navajo running tradition and their spirituality, as well as Bushmen in Africa and how their culture really impacts running today as we know it. And lastly, we'll visit some Buddhist monks and their pursuit of running and how that's become a part of their spiritual ritual, how it's life-affirming for them. In terms of our next episode, we're going to be talking to a few race directors and this one I think you'll really enjoy because we have a race director who has organized hundreds of trail races and he has some unique insight into the history of trail running and why it's grown so much in the U.S. as well as hearing about western states, if you haven't heard of it, kind of the pinnacle of trail running in the U.S. and how he's successfully ran three times as well as many other accomplishments. That's Andy Matthews, who runs the CRIM in Southwest Florida. The Croom, rather. In terms of all that you do, I wish you happy running and all the success that you can.